Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sportsbook. My name is Zach Kroll. I am your host not only today, but every day, every episode here on the College Hoops Daily Podcast. And this is where we will be talking all things college basketball from now until the end of the road, until the Final Four in April. And We shouldn't even be talking about that right now because the college basketball season has officially kicked off. We had a weekend full of games, and you know already what we're going to be doing here on this show today. We're going to react to it all. We have a ton of get, uh, we have a ton to get to, and it's funny because this is now the second episode of this show since the season started, and one of the main things we spoke about on last episode of the show. It was right after opening night, reacting to a bunch of things that happened on the first night of the college basketball season. Well, one of those things were just by games and teams losing game after game after game that they really should not have lost. And we are going to continue with that theme because they were a ton of other by game losses, shockingly to go down in college basketball in particular in one conference that we are going to get into. We're also going to get into a couple teams that just suffered some brutal losses over the weekend and why you should or should not be worried about them. But before we get into it all, it is time to start off with the one big thing. And on Friday night, it was great because there were some really good games on after what was a few days after opening night of just lackluster, non-interesting basketball. We did see Georgetown struggle a little bit with Coppin State. We saw Providence uh, struggle a little bit with Ryder. But it wasn't until Friday night where we finally got some heavyweight matchups. We had Gonzaga and Michigan State. We had Wisconsin and Stanford. I also even watched a little bit of uh, San Diego State and BYU late night, and we're going to get into all of those teams at some point. But the first game I wanted to react to from Friday night, you guessed it, live from the aircraft carrier in San Diego, our guy Aaron Torres was actually there to witness this game. What an experience that was as Gonzaga, number two ranked Bulldogs. They beat Michigan State, who's unranked by a final score of 64 to 63. Michigan Michigan State was actually winning and in control for the majority of this game until Gonzaga uh, came back late and they ended up getting 
the W and a couple initial reactions from this one, right? The first thing that comes to mind is that Michigan State was better than we expected going into the season, and Gonzaga is a little bit worse than expected going into the season. And I actually thought these things compared to the consensus opinion going into the game on Friday night and what I saw on the basketball floor on Friday really did nothing to change my mind. And before we get into it, it's also important to remember, right, when it comes to a game that's this unique at a setting like this on the aircraft carrier where wind is a factor, where sun is a factor. I don't think you should just look at the results of this game. I don't think you should look at what happened in this game and just automatically say, okay, that's it. Uh, I'm, this is definitively my opinion when it comes to these two teams. There has to be some context. And I think it's unfairly to judge these two teams solely based on this game in these just bizarre settings, playing outdoors, playing in the sun. It was a great scene seeing all of, uh, the military officers, uh, honored and in all the ceremonies. They even had it, two of them, uh, calling the game, which was awesome and happy Veterans Day, uh, on Friday, just an awesome day and an awesome scene in college basketball on that aircraft carrier. But Gonzaga, they get the win 64-63. And they did this behind another monster game from Drew Timmy. He has 22 and 13. He might just be that one matchup in college basketball where no matter how good of a defender you are, he just has his handful of moves that he's going to go to that are basically unguardable. And I think the strategy to defend Gonzaga, especially this season now that Chet Holmgren and Jalen Suggs and Corey Kispert, all those future NBA players are no longer in the picture. But I think when it comes to this Gonzaga team, stopping Timmy is the first thing you got to do. And if it's Rasir Bolton beating you from the perimeter, if it's Julian Strouder or Nolan Hickman beating you for the perimeter, then so be it. But I mentioned a few of those guys Gonzaga lost from last season and really the last two years, which Mark Few has led the Bulldogs to the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament, right? Gonzaga had a ton of really good players on that first team that lost to Baylor in the Natty chip. They had Jalen Suggs, who was a lottery pick in the NBA draft. They had Corey Kispert, who was a first round pick. Joel Ayayi was playing with this Gonzaga program for a few years now, and he is a professional. They had a really good team. And then last year, in addition to Timmy, right, they bring in Chet Holmgren, who was also a top five pick in the NBA draft. They also have Andrew Nebhardt, who I think was really the more, the most underrated piece in all of Gonzaga's success over the course of the last few years, because he was always such a calming presence. He was always so reliable. Gonzaga knew even on their worst nights, Andrew Nembhardt is going to give them just consistent play, able to keep the offense focused, uh, able to keep the offense organized. And Andrew Nembhardt was always someone you could trust. And one of the main questions I had going into this season for Gonzaga was that point guard position because Nolan Hickman, I totally understand he's really talented and he's a former uh, top 30 recruit out of high school. But last year, he didn't really do anything for this Gonzaga team. And that's understandable when you're a freshman playing with a team full of older players, especially when it's one of the better teams in the country. I don't necessarily think with Nebhart there last year 
and Bolton that anyone was expecting for Hickman and Hunter Salas, the other main freshmen in this Gonzaga class, to have this major impact and be these key contributors for Gonzaga. But that was last year. And now Chet Holmgren is gone, right? Now Andrew Nembhard is gone. And Nolan Hickman was one of the major keys for this Gonzaga team. And it's only one game. Things could change. He did make a couple shots. But Hickman finishes the game only playing 22 minutes with 10 points. And he goes 4 of 11 from the field and 2 of 6 from 3. I'm saying it right now. I think point guard play is going to be an issue for this Gonzaga team. And not that their options are bad, right? I think Hickman is a solid player that I think within time will get better and better and better. Even Malachi Smith, the transfer from Chattanooga, he played 30 minutes in this game, gives Gonzaga five points, five rebounds, two of five from the field, but he had zero assists. Nolan Hickman only had one assist. So Gonzaga's two point guards, Nolan Hickman and Malachi Smith combined for one assist. That's not going to get the job done for this Gonzaga team. And if you would have told me before the game that this was going to be the case, I would have been pretty surprised that Gonzaga still found a way to win. But that's what happens when you have one of the best players in the sport in Drew Timmy. And look, Gonzaga's a tough team. I'll give them credit. They were down for the majority of the, the game, including double digits to start the second half. But their stars took over. They found a way to win. And Gonzaga is actually going to be back in action with another huge test this week, or really two huge tests this week. They will go to Texas on Wednesday. They will host Kentucky on Sunday. And that doesn't even include when you look at Gonzaga's schedule. They'll also play three games in the PK-85. They could see uh, Duke. They could see... uh Villanova, North Carolina, a bunch of the other top teams in college basketball are going to be there as well in Portland, but they will also host Baylor, they will host Washington, and they will travel to Alabama before the time the WCC conference schedule kicks off. And that's one thing I'll always respect about Mark Few. I have said before that Gonzaga playing in the WCC has hurt them in the lack of preparation again and the lack of familiarity against great teams right before the NCAA tournament. But Mark Few does try his best. Gonzaga schedules an elite non-conference schedule. And although I'm not entirely sure if this Gonzaga program will be able to win a national championship while a member of the WCC, I just think they need to face those great teams a little bit uh, shorter than like pretty closer to March Madness opposed to now. I think it's cool to play all these great teams in October, November, and December, but playing that, there's a difference between playing those teams then and playing the great teams as conference opponents getting ready for the NCAA tournament. But Gonzaga, they do what they always do, find a way to win. They have a killer non-conference schedule coming up. Can't wait to watch them there. Now, from the Michigan State perspective, right, there were a lot of people that were down on this Michigan State team heading into the season. I even saw a ton of people saying that this would be finally, yes, the first year since 1997 that Michigan State would miss the NCAA tournament. And I get it, right? Michigan State, since they made the Final Four in 2019 when they knocked out Duke and Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett out of the NCAA tournament, they haven't been themselves. They haven't been bad. But just compared to the normal standard that Tom Izzo has set has set in East Lansing, they just haven't lived up to that 
which is fine considering Izzo is a Hall of Fame coach considering the amount of winning he's done. And last year, Michigan State, it wasn't a great year. I personally think they overachieved. They actually made it to the round of 32 and had a real shot to beat Duke and go to the Sweet 16. But a lot of people didn't love two things about Michigan State going into the season. Number one, they lost three of their main contributors from last year's squad in Max Christie, in Gabe Brown, uh, and, and, and in Gabe Brown, and And Marcus Bingham. And with those three guys gone, Michigan State, yes, they had a ton of scoring production to replace. But I looked at the other pieces on this roster, and I actually thought, okay, I actually think these pieces could fit together pretty nicely. You have a nice guard duo in the backcourt with Tyson Walker, who looks much much better compared to the way he looked last year, especially early on last year when he first uh, started in the Big Ten at Michigan State. And A.J. Hogard, he's pretty experienced. He's really seen it all in the Big Ten, so I like that backcourt duo. They also bring back a young kid in Jordan and Jaden Aikens. He uh, is go- just started his sophomore year, and he's still recovering from an injury suffered prior to the season. And I do think by the time the season ends, Aiken is going to be a much bigger and more and more sub- substantial piece compared to what we saw on Wednesday night from him. And the foot injury for Aikens, I think, really has been or held him back on Friday night. He did not uh, contribute a ton. Aikens only played 17 minutes, five points for Michigan State. Another guy that stood out to me that I like for Michigan State is Pierre Brooks. He was also in that Michigan State freshman class last year with Aiken. Uh, the front court, though, the other main concern for this Michigan State team was they didn't really have a true rim protector. And Tom Izzo... He didn't go to the transfer portal this offseason. And while I do like a lot of the pieces this Michigan State team has, and I think that is the one thing you can really get on Tom Izzo for here, is the fact that Michigan State just didn't add anyone. They didn't add any transfers. And I like Jackson Carr, their young freshman, but he only played 11 minutes last night, and you're going to really need him by the time you get to conference play. But right now... I think you are fine with the star, really, of Michigan State's game against Gonzaga on Friday. And that is Mati Sissoko. And when you look at Sissoko, he, uh, alongside uh, Julian Marble, those two guys, they were really Michigan State's two uh, options at center going into the season once they lost Marcus Bingham. But Julius Marble decided to transfer to Texas A&M, and that only left Made Sissoko, who is entering his third year in the Michigan State program. And in each of his first two years, he has averaged one point a game in about five minutes per game. So Mati Sissoko, he's played a little bit, but it was totally unknown if this guy would be someone that Michigan State could rely on going forward. And he answered the bell on Friday night, 25 points, 14 rebounds, nine assists, and really in the first half did about as good a job as anyone could expect on Drew Timmy. Now, unfortunately, in that second half, when the foul trouble really started to build up for Michigan State, that's really when Gonzaga went on their run. And they just took over the game. And unfortunately for Michigan State, they didn't have enough to stop them. But I was so impressed with Mati Sissoko and his effort 
on Friday against Gonzaga. And if he could give Michigan State that just consistently 30 good minutes a night, and I know he only played 25, he did foul out. But if he could just give Michigan State some solid minutes at the center position, because I like Joey Hauser, I like Malik Hall. I think both of these guys could be solid contributors on this Michigan State team. And the fact that Michigan State came so close to winning this game with really Joey Hauser playing poorly, only 19 minutes and two points in this game. I think it's a good sign that Michigan State was competitive with one of the better teams in college basketball in Gonzaga. And really for the majority of this game, Michigan State, they played with energy. They played with toughness. They felt to me like the team that wanted it more, which is which was refreshing to see. But the unfortunate thing for Michigan State, as great as a performance as this was, was you played a great game against Gonzaga, but you lost. Even though it only came by one point, uh, losing by one, that's not going to help you in the win column. And then you look at the next couple games for Michigan State. Their next three games, Kentucky, that game is the Champions Classic at Madison Square Garden. That's on a neutral, obviously. They will then host Villanova on Friday. They get a little break, but then they add the PK-80, a brutal three-game stretch in three days where they they will open against Alabama. They'll then play the winner of UConn and Oregon, and then they could get North Carolina in the finals. They could get Villanova in the finals. The, that is going to be a brutal three-day stretch. They will then go to Notre Dame before they start Big Ten play in early December. And when I look at Michigan State, that is just an impossible non-conference schedule. But I do respect Tom Izzo for scheduling it, even though he did lose a ton of players from last year, even though he didn't add anyone from the transfer portal. He's not afraid of anyone. If you're Michigan State, though, you were so competitive. You were right in it. That felt like a game where you were the better team for the most part. You really should have won, but unfortunately, they couldn't get it done. Overall, though, a solid performance from the Spartans. I think they could be better than a lot of people were expecting. And for Gonzaga, they found a way to win. Props to them. That's what winners do. But I do not think this Gonzaga team is one of the three or four best teams in the country. I think this team is worse than it's been over the course of each of the last two seasons, which shouldn't be taken as some kind of insult considering Gonzaga has literally been the best team in college basketball over the course of the last two regular seasons. So nice job by Gonzaga getting the victory over Michigan State. Both these teams will play very challenging slates coming up over the course of the next few weeks. And what a setting, what a scene that was in San Diego on the aircraft carrier. Before we move on to the next segment of the show here on the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Bet Fred Sportsbook, we wanted to thank our presenting sponsor and the sponsor of all things Aaron Torres Media, Betfred Sportsbook. Betfred is one of Europe's biggest sportsbooks with over 1,600 shops in the UK and have recently come to the US and made a splash in a big way. They are the official betting betting partners of the Denver Broncos, Colorado Rockies, and now the Cincinnati Bengals. More importantly, they're the perfect partner for us at the College Hoops Daily Podcast because they do more for their customers than anyone out there. Betfred has VIP tailgates at Broncos games, the Betfred suite at Bengals games, and gives out more free bonuses than Betfred. 
As a matter of fact, we have a special offer for our listeners and first-time users. If you bet $50 on any College Hoops game, and you will get $250 in free bets courtesy of Bet Fred Sportsbook. To learn more, visit BetFredSports.com. So without further ado, it's, start, it's time to start the second segment of the show here on the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. And if you were to ask me, Zach, so far, over the course of the first week of this opening of, uh, over the opening week of the college basketball season, which team has created the most headlines so far? Which team do you need or want to talk about the most? And for me, the clear, the easy answer to that, you already guessed it. It is the Louisville Cardinals. And it's funny. A few weeks ago on this show, I actually had a conversation with our guy, Aaron Torres, and we spoke all about the Louisville Cardinals after they lost a exhibition game to a Division II team, Lenore Rhine. And for some context, there will be some times where a Power 5, Power 6 school will lose to a Division II team. And although it looks really bad, it may not be as bad as you expect, considering it is usually a really good D2 team that might be on the fringe of coming to D1 sooner rather than later. A perfect example of that would be actually one of the teams Louisville lost to uh, this past week in Bellarmine. We're going to get into that. But Leonore Ryan, they they were a D2 team that was not good last season. And that was not a game Louisville should even have been competitive with Lenore Ryan in. They should have blown them out from the beginning, but they lose. And that was the first sign of like, wow, okay, things might not be going great so far to start off the Kenny Payne era at Louisville. But at the end of the day, that's an exhibition game. You're not going to sweat and take too much away from that. But then We've watched this Louisville team in their first two games of the season. They lose on Wednesday to Bellarmine 67 to 66. And even though they only lost by one point, everyone who knows that game, who everyone I know who watched that game, they will tell you the game wasn't a fluke. Really, for the majority of the game, Bellarmine, they feel like they felt like the better team and they were the deserving winner. And for Louisville to lose that game, it's brutal. Not only because it's Bellarmine and they are in the same city, Louisville, in the same state of Kentucky. And they also are a team that was ineligible for the NCAA tournament last year after winning their conference tournament just because they still had to make that that transition to the Division I ranks. And Scott Davenport, the coach of Bellarmine, he was actually a Louisville assistant for a while under Rick Patino, but he never was even considered for the Louisville job after they let go of Chris Mack. So you knew, you knew just how much this game meant to him. And I'm sorry for the confusion. He was not uh, a Louisville assistant under Patino, or actually, yeah, he wasn't. And he was still there in 2005. So just had to double check that. But Scott Davenport was uh, a member of the Louisville basketball program for nine years from 1996 to 2005. And after winning a, uh, a Division II national championship here at Bellarmine and winning six uh, league regular season championships at the Division II ranks, he was not even considered 
for this Louisville job. And they went into the KFC Young Center, did Bellerman, and beat Louisville 67 to 66. Excuse me. Um, That game, as bad as it was for Louisville, it's the first game of the Kenny Payne era. You're never going to let one game define your whole coaching tenure. And the game really could have gone either way. And that is when we get to Saturday against Wright State. By the way, one last comment. Louisville was an eight-point favorite against Bellarmine. So that was a game where it was possible for them to lose, but that wasn't a game they should even come remotely close to considering losing just because they're Louisville and you're facing Bellarmine. Again, a really good team in the Atlantic Sun, a team that won the Atlantic Sun tournament last year, but you had to know if you're Louisville how hungry Bellerman must have been coming into a game like this, and you still couldn't close them out. That is just brutal. And then on Saturday, Louisville loses on a buzzer beater to Wright State as Trey Calvin scores 17 points and just hits uh, a shot that was really impressive. Tough, tough shot to knock down. But hey, he got it done for Wright State. Louisville was actually up three points at the half of this one. But in the second half, Wright State outscores them 39-35 uh, to get the victory. And after the game, Kenny Payne had a quote that was pretty telling to me. He said, don't let your opponent feel like they belong with you. You're Louisville. Do you understand what that means? Well, what's happening is I got guys that don't know what that means. And when I hear that quote from Kenny Payne, that's really concerning because, look, I understand he's a first-year coach and – Chris Mack didn't leave this Louisville program in the best position considering their roster last year, considering it's Louisville, was not good enough. They had some guys I liked, but mid-major transfers. Louisville's starting point guard last year was from Marshall. That should never happen. And Kenny Payne, he does have some holdovers and L. Ellis and Jalen Withers and Sidney Curry, who are fine pieces, but the one thing... I wondered about Louisville. Kenny Payne was brought in as the head coach of this program, not because he's some X's and O's genius, right? He should be a fine head coach, but Kenny Payne's strength is recruiting and bringing in the best players as possible. And Louisville did not do much in the transfer portal this past offseason. They did add Brandon Huntley Hatfield, a former McDonald's All-American from Tennessee, a pretty highly ranked recruit, but he was really disappointing uh, during his one and only season in Knoxville. And when you look at the talent on this Louisville team, they have some returners. They have a nice transfer in Huntley Hatfield, but I expected Louisville to be very active in the transfer portal market. In today's game of college basketball, it's easier if you're a new head coach to turn things around quicker compared to days and years past because these transfers that you're getting from the portal, one, there's more of them. And the reason why there's more transfers available is because they're eligible to play right away if it's their first time. Uh, and maybe even in most chances, their second time, the NCAA is out here uh, giving out waivers left and right. But in the era of the transfer portal, although it's never easy, you have a chance, no matter who you are, to add talent to your program. And when you think of Kenny Payne, that's his strength. His strength is recruiting and bringing in the best players 
And Louisville hasn't done that so far. And just to make matters worse, it is looking like DJ Wagner, who Louisville has been rumored uh, to be in contention for for a while. Kenny Payne actually even hired a family member of DJ Wagner, the number one high school player in all of the nation right now. It does feel like he's likely to go to Kentucky and that they've really gotten that edge over Louisville. And if you're a Cardinal fan, with the way this season has started losing each of your first two games to Bellarmine and Wright State, and now you're likely going to lose out on DJ Wagner, it's tough for the Cardinals. And it is crazy to me because it doesn't feel like that long ago where Chris Mack had things rolling. Louisville was the number one team in the country in December of that COVID year in 2020 and not the actual COVID year, but when things got shut down in March due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Louisville was likely to make the NCAA tournament that year early on. Well, yeah, they were going to. And then early on, they were looking like a national championship contender and all things have just completely fallen apart since we have mentioned that the pandemic has just set some programs back and Louisville uh, is definitely in that category. And, If you're wondering if things are going to get any better anytime soon for this Louisville program, they will be participating in the Maui Invitational. They will open up that tournament against Arkansas. Uh, That probably won't go too great, honestly, considering uh, Arkansas, they're one of the better teams in the country with all of their young, top-notch freshman talent. Arkansas has also made the Elite Eight each of the last two seasons, so Eric Musselman really has things rolling there, and Louisville losing each of their last two games. They will host Appalachian State on Tuesday night. Are they a lock to win that game? Not, I I wouldn't say so. Dustin Kearns has done a really good job with that Appalachian State program. They are 2-0 to start off this season, so that's not going to be an easy game. And then in Maui, if Louisville, when they lose to Arkansas, most likely they're probably going to get Texas Tech or Creighton. Won't be an easy game there. You have Arizona, Cincinnati. San Diego State, Ohio State, also in Maui. So that's not going to be great for Louisville. They will also host a very good Western Kentucky team before the season ends on December 14th. And that is right after Louisville will actually have two ACC games in the month of December against Miami and at Florida State. So Kenny Payne, hearing that quote, you could tell that the players are just not a 1,000% bought in uh, to everything yet at Louisville. And that's really disappointing considering that was only against Bellarmine and Wright State. Those are the games you have to have. And good for Bellarmine. Props to that program. Just uh, getting eligible in the Division One ranks. And honestly, I'll be rooting for them to win the AC Sun Tournament this year because last year they really deserved to be playing in March Madness. But unfortunately, uh, they were ruled ineligible with the transition they'll be eligible this year though and hopefully they make it back but man that is just not a game you could lose if you're Louisville and then as heartbreaking as that was losing to I don't know if you would call it a rival but a team that's in your state a team that you know was very hungry to beat you and you still couldn't get the job done to follow that up with a loss to Wright State on a buzzer beater after you were leading at halftime That was unacceptable. The players on this Louisville team are very underwhelming considering Kenny Payne was labeled as the guy that was known to get players and bring in the most talented players possible with all the connections. Louisville has been, in my opinion, the biggest story of the first week of the college basketball season with just how bad their struggles have really been. 
On Monday's episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sports, one of the main talking points that I actually got some pretty good feedback from, and I appreciate that, was the segment I did on buy games, but really the Pac-12 was what it was focused on because I was very disappointed in the fact that the Pac-12, a conference that has really struggled to get its uh, self going over the course of the last few years, Arizona has had some great runs. UCLA has had some great runs. But no Pac-12 team has won the national championship since UCLA in 2008. That's a long time ago. That's over a decade. And that is a stat that really isn't spoken about a lot considering the Big Ten. They haven't won a national championship since 2000. So that's usually the conference that that gets dragged in the mud for their national championship drought. But the Pac-12 is also there. They haven't won a national championship in a really long time now. And when you look at their start to the season, again, it has been really disappointing with USC, a team that I personally had ranked in my top 25. I was expecting big things from them. They lose on opening night at home to Florida Gulf Coast by 13. And honestly, the game was not even as close as that final score indicates. You also have uh, Cal Berkeley losing to UC Davis. And I know Mark Fox and the Cal program have really been struggling over the course of the last few years. No, it's not like a lot of people were expecting that to change, but losing at home to UC Davis is just something that flat out cannot happen. And then you look at this weekend and it really didn't get any better. But before we get into that, right, we have heard a lot of outrage over the summer and rightfully so. When UCLA and USC, their athletic the program, athletic programs, they decided to leave the Pac-12 for the Big Ten. And these two programs have been in the Pac-12 forever. There's a lot of historical significance when it comes to UCLA and USC and everything that, that they have accomplished and achieved as members of the Pac-12. And we all know the main primary reason why they did this was for money, right? They want as much money as possible and playing in a league like the Big Ten and being a part of their new massive TV contract, that is something they were interested in, so they leave. Not something that I personally wanted, but after thinking about it and letting it sit in for a while, I've accepted it. USC and UCLA are going to go to the Big Ten. Part of the reason why I accepted this, that I feel like not a lot of other people are realizing, is the Pac-12 has just been brutal, and they've been doing it to themselves in both basketball and in football. And I totally understand that from a football perspective, things have been a little bit better lately. The Pac-12 in the most recent college football playoff ranking, which will change tomorrow, they actually had five teams ranked in the top 25 uh, in the latest ranking, which was more than any other Power 6 conference had. The issue was Oregon, they had a, a... clear path to the college football playoff possibly uh and they just blew it on Saturday night when they lose as a 13 and a half point home favorite to Washington and then you have UCLA Chip Kelly's team has had a great year that I don't think a lot of people saw coming and they had even a shot to get to the college football playoff what happens they lose to Arizona at home as a 15 plus point favorite on Saturday night. And I know this is a college basketball show, but what I'm trying to say here is the Pac-12 has just not been able to get 
out of their own way. And it's so frustrating. And that continued on the basketball floor this weekend. Stanford loses to Wisconsin at Miller Park. I'll start off by saying this. I don't think that's a huge deal. I know that we were expecting a lot of big things from Stanford going into the season. And I still think they have the potential to be an NCAA tournament team. Plus, this game was played at Miller Park in Milwaukee, kind of similar to what I said earlier in this show with uh, the Gonzaga-Michigan State game. I don't think this is a game you could just look at and have all these massive takeaways and definitive takeaways just because it was a weird setting. Being played at a baseball stadium in Miller Park, Wisconsin, was technically the home team with the game being played in their home state, even though it was really a neutral four. But we know, yeah, it was really a Wisconsin home game. So I'm not really blaming Stanford too much for that one. It was a game they probably would have liked to win, but I will be ready to judge Stanford way more definitively after Tuesday night uh, when they host San Diego State. The Aztecs are really good uh, out there in the Mountain West. But Colorado, it's funny because they actually made up for it later in the weekend. We're going to hit on that before this show ends as well. But they lose to Grambling State, which is not ideal. I totally get that Colorado is in a semi-rebuilding year. They have lost a ton of players from each of the last few years where Tad Boyle's team has gotten to the NCAA tournament. But losing as a 14.5-point favorite on the road to Grambling State in the SWAC, that's not ideal for Colorado. Then it continued on Friday night as Oregon. They were, not anymore, but they were the number 21 ranked team in the country. And honestly, even though Oregon was very disappointing last year, you could have made the argument that last season, Oregon was among the most disappointing teams in all of college basketball. I actually agreed with the notion that they were going to be much improved this year, that they probably did deserve to be ranked just because I think Dana Altman is a really good coach. He does a great job flipping talent that looks like they can't really mesh and develop chemistry early. And then by the time you turn around and get to March, Oregon is usually playing their best basketball of the season, but losing at home to UC Irvine is just something that can't happen. And this is another one of those games where, yeah, the final score was 13 points, but honestly, the game was not that close. And Oregon, I get one of their big transfer portal ads from the offseason, Jermaine Kusnard from South Carolina. He's injured. He did not play in this game. But, man, only scoring 56 points against UC Irvine, we've seen this Oregon team struggle with chemistry. Uh, that was the one their main issue last year, and it was a lot of the same – Uh, what we saw on Saturday night. I like Will Richardson. I think he's a guy you could win with, but in 31 minutes, he had four points, four rebounds, four assists, one of six from the field, and he shoots 0 of four from three. Your starting point guard just needs to get better than that. And when it comes to Dana Altman, he has a very interesting recruiting philosophy in the sense that he just has his assistant coaches get him the best players possible. And then Dana Altman will recruit or will uh, coach them and develop them. And hopefully, as I mentioned, like he'll have them playing their best basketball by the most important time of the year in March. But losing to UC Irvine, this is a loss that is going to cost Oregon. It's going to move possibly move them down a seed line or two. And I love Russell Turner uh, and the work that he's done at UC Irvine. I think he should have gotten a job in the Pac-12 conference a long time ago. And Things 
there were some unfortunate circumstances that prevented Russell Turner from getting the Cal Berkeley job a few years ago when Mark Fox got it. You could look up the incident that happened with him. And ironically enough, uh, UC Irvine was playing Oregon in that NCAA tournament game. But that's a brutal loss for Oregon. All the struggles that we've seen from the Ducks in uh, last year, they came to full fruition again. And you just got to hope that this Ducks chemistry gets better. The tough weekend continued for the Pac-12 on Saturday and Sunday. Washington State loses to Boise State, and that's a tough loss. But Boise, they were an NCAA tournament team last year. They're in the Mountain West. That's somewhat acceptable, especially for a Washington State team that isn't expected to do a ton. I think they'll be around that 7-8 range in the middle of the pack in the Pac-12. But again, after the weekend the Pac-12 had, just one win like that, uh, would have been just massive for the, for the conference. And unfortunately, they couldn't get it. And then on Sunday, Arizona State loses to Texas Southern in overtime, 67 to 66. Arizona State blew a four point halftime victory. And speaking of similar struggles, this is just exactly what we've seen with Arizona State over the course of the last few years. Also, they have a really talented team, but it's filled of a ton of new players who aren't really familiar with playing each other yet, and Arizona State loses to Texas Southern. Now, I really appreciate the swag. Jeff Goodman actually had this tweet from Stadium. I'll give him a credit for that. But the SWAC Legacy Series, it was a really cool idea, and you got to give the Pac-12 credit for doing it, but it's going to wind up hurting them in terms of the amount of bids their league gets into the NCAA tournament because uh, – Arizona State was not the only team in the SWAC, uh, in the Pac-12 to lose to a SWAC team. When you look, they lose. Uh, you also have Colorado. They lose to Grambling State as well. And these games, like the SWAC, when you lose games to a SWAC team, those are the kind of losses that are just possibly could keep you out of the NCAA tournament altogether. And Colorado losing to Grambling State uh, is just another one where that just can't happen. And I know Colorado, they did bounce back nicely against Tennessee. Tad Boyle's a really good basketball coach that even on a rebuilding year, when you're not expecting much from Colorado, he'll have them in a, a good position, much better than anyone would have ever expected. But it's these results right here in both basketball and really football, as I mentioned, why USC why UCLA are leaving this Pac-12 conference because when you just lose by games like this to make the conference worse, to set the conference back, and anyone who's been following college basketball, the Pac-12 has not been right. I would say for the last five years, not including this season even, like even when the Pac-12 had UCLA with Lonzo Ball, when they had Oregon with Dylan Brooks and Chris Boucher, when they had Arizona with Alonzo Trier and Sean Miller, like, that's when this conference was popping. That's when it was at their best. And I even thought going into this year, okay, UCLA, they're a preseason top five team, in my opinion, a national championship contender. Arizona's really good. You have Oregon, you have USC, and you have teams in the middle that, yeah, they might not have won a ton the last few years, but they're improving. They're getting better, you know, throwing Stanford into that conversation, throwing Washington and Washington State into that conversation. But it has been the same old Pac-12 that continues to shoot themselves in the foot. And this right here is why USC and UCLA left. Because Oregon losing to UC Irvine, you have 
Arizona State losing to a SWAC team. You have Colorado losing to a SWAC team. It's just unacceptable. You don't see these kind of results from the other conferences that are just single-handedly setting and putting themselves back in the NCAA tournament uh, conversation. It's been t- it's been tough for the Pac-12, and if things don't get better quickly, you have to be really worried if you're a Pac-12 fan because I could see another year where only three or four teams get into the big dance from this league. Right now, in the Pac-12, it's UCLA, it's Arizona, and it is it is literally everyone else. Okay, moving on to the last and final segment of the show, College Hoops Daily, presented by Betfred Sports. There was one result from Sunday, while everyone was locked into that crazy Vikings-Bills game in the NFL, still don't know how Justin Jefferson caught that ball. Well, while that game was going on, there was one result in college basketball that I wanted to get into. And the only reason why I was so locked into this game, especially, you know, on a football Sunday, you have all the TVs going around. I will be locked into college basketball at all times, even during an NFL Sunday. Don't worry. But Colorado and Tennessee. Now, this game was played. It was technically a neutral court game, but it was at Bridgestone Arena in Nashville, Tennessee. The whole crowd was wearing orange, filled with Tennessee fans. And the Vols, you guys know, like, I expected some big things from Tennessee heading into the season. I love the way Tennessee actually ended their season last year, winning the SEC tournament, uh, earning a number three seed in the big dance. And I was all in for Tennessee. And even though things did end in heartbreaking fashion last year when they lost uh, in the round of 32 to Michigan, I looked at Tennessee and I said, okay, they lose Kennedy Chandler, which is tough. That's a former top 10 recruit out of high school, uh, an NBA player right now with the Memphis Grizzlies. But I thought they had the perfect replacement in Zakai Ziegler, a gritty player now in his second season in the program. And when you're his size, it's no coincidence that you make it to playing college basketball at the Division I level. You got to be tough. You got to be gritty. There has to be some skill involved as well. But I'm a big fan of Zakai Ziegler, and I still trust him as the guy to run this Tennessee team. They also bring back Santiago Vescovi one of the better guards in the SEC. They also bring back Josiah Jordan-James and Olivier Comwa, who they lost last season in about uh, mid-February with an injury. They also um, bring in Tyree Key from Indiana State, who has been one of the better transfers in all of college basketball that I've seen so far. But similar to last year, Tennessee had a lot of names, right? They had... Justin Powell, who was one of the biggest transfers on the market uh, last offseason. They had Victor Bailey. They still had John Fulkerson and Earls Plopsich. Like, Tennessee just had a ton of different options they could go to. And if you remember, early on last year, Tennessee was brutal offensively. And this is something that's been going on for a few years now, that Tennessee, as good as they are, as talented as they are, they will just sometimes get into these brutal bad scoring droughts where they just have an inability to put the ball in the basket. And on Sunday against Colorado, keep in mind Colorado, they were part of the Pac-12 embarrassment uh, over the weekend. They lose to a SWAC team in Grambling State. Colorado, even before that, like this was not a team that was expected to do big things in the Pac-12, even though, yeah, they have some nice pieces here and there. But Tennessee was a 15-and-a-half point favorite in this game. 
playing in a virtuoso home game in their home state of Tennessee, and they lose 78-66. to Colorado outscores Tennessee in the second half, 46-32. to And that's an issue, right? Right off the bat, giving up 46 points to Colorado in the second half for the game. The Buffaloes shot 44% from the field and 31 from three. Although I expected Tennessee's offense to be much improved this season, their bread and butter and their strength, or at least was supposed to be their strength, it was the defensive side of the ball and preventing the opponent from putting the ball in the basket. Even in their first game of the season, Tennessee struggled a little bit in the first half against Texas Tech, or excuse me, Texas Tech, Tennessee Tech. Uh, Tennessee Tech, they only scored 16 points in that first half, but they were only down 11 because Tennessee could only score 27 points. And last year, Tennessee, they played their best basketball at the end of the season, but they also had some games like uh, in the NCAA tournament where they, they lost to Michigan. They just couldn't hit a shot from the outside. The other game that comes to mind for Tennessee last year was against Texas Tech at Madison Square Garden in the Jimmy V Classic. I was actually at that game. And it was so frustrating because Tennessee was just not able to score the basketball. And the hope going into this season was even without Kennedy Chandler and losing a few guys, they, I thought this team fit together a little bit better compared to last year's team. And maybe Rick Barnes still just has to find that right combination of guys that really works for him. But there were just so many brutal offensive performances from Tennessee yesterday. Listen to this. Olivier Kamwa. He shoots one of eight from the field. That's not getting it done. Santiago Viscovi, who I love. I think he was he's one of the more underrated players in all of college basketball. But Viscovi, he struggled last year big time in that NCAA tournament loss to Michigan. He couldn't hit a shot. And then on Sunday, in 35 minutes, he shoots two of 11 from the field. And, and all of, uh, 11 of those shots were from three. So... And he did make two of them. He shoots two of 11 from three. But Vescovi shoots two of 11 from three and 0 for two from two. Like, that's just not good enough. Zakai Ziegler, he shoots four of 12 from the field, two of six from three. Tyree Key, you look at the numbers. Oh, he has uh, 15 points. Pretty good game. Nine of those points came from the free throw line. He was two of nine from the field. So if I do some quick math in my head here, Tennessee... They're, those three guys, so Vescovi, Ziegler, and Key, they shoot a combined 8 of 34 from the field. That's not good enough. That is not going to get the job done, and Tennessee paid for it. In that game, uh, you got to be better than that, especially against Colorado, a team that just lost to Grambling State the uh, Friday night prior to, to Sunday. So that's an unacceptable performance. If you're Tennessee, having those guys shoot that poorly from the field just cannot happen. And when I look at this box score, like Euros Plotsich, he starts, but he only plays three minutes. Jonas Adu, who I think is a breakout candidate for Tennessee. I think the more he gets on the floor, the better. He only plays seven minutes in this game. And I love Rick Barnes. I don't think it's fair. Uh, the people that just, call him a bad coach because he hasn't had a ton of success in the NCAA tournament. He has won a ton of games uh, in the SEC, and he's done a great job rebuilding this Tennessee program since he took over. But you got to play Adu more. Only seven minutes. I think he's an impact player. And Tennessee's guards, again, were just not good enough. And I was really high on not only this 
Tennessee team, but really the whole SEC, the whole Southeastern Conference going into the season. I actually thought it had the potential to be the best conference in all of college basketball. And Tennessee, they were a big reason why, considering they brought a lot of pieces back from last year, including Vescovy, including Josiah Jordan-James, including Ziegler. And I know JJJ is banged up. He actually didn't play in that exhibition game against Gonzaga, and he has been coming off the bench to start this season for Tennessee. You hope uh, for the Vols that he will be able to get back and uh, be a full go sooner rather than later for Tennessee. But this Tennessee offense, and I know it's an exhibition, but they went nuts against Gonzaga. When I heard the results of that scrimmage against Gonzaga, I was thinking, okay, the pieces are all are finally all together. They're there. I had thought they fit together much better compared to years past. And this is what they needed. They Their confidence must be there. They just ran one of the best teams in college basketball in Gonzaga off the floor, although in an exhibition game. But Josiah Jordan-James, he didn't play in that game. And still, Tennessee's offense looked great. But then you fast forward to only a few weeks later, they are getting embarrassed and just cannot score the basketball against Colorado. And if you look at the Vol schedule, they'll have some opportunities to right the ship. They will host Florida Gulf Coast on Wednesday uh, night, and that is the same Florida Gulf Coast team that actually went into USC a few week, uh, a few nights ago and beat the Trojans. They're also coached by a former Penn State coach, Pat Chambers, so it looks like he's gotten off to a nice start there at Florida Gulf Coast, and they will play that game before they will head to the Bahamas for the Battle for Atlantis, where they will play Butler in their opening game. That is a game Tennessee should win, but that's three games in three days, and they're going to be a ton of other really good teams joining them in Atlantis as well. You have Wisconsin, who beat Stanford the other night. You have Dayton, who looked pretty good uh, so far. They're ranked in the top 25. You have Kansas, of course, the defending national champions. You have NC State. So they're going to be uh, – USC is going to be there as well. So they're going to be a ton – of really good teams over there in Atlantis for the uh, for uh, the battle for Atlantis and Tennessee. If they play the way they did against Colorado, they're not going to have much success there. And for a team that was expected to do such big things going into the season, what a disappointment for Tennessee to lose that game. And the Vols only shooting uh, 25% from the field, 16 for 63 from the field, 10 for 37, 27% from three. That is not good enough. That's not going to get the job done. And check this out. 24 of Tennessee's 66 points came from the free throw line. So if you do the math in your head, that means that Tennessee only scored 42 points on made field goals. you got to be better on the offensive side of the ball. And I thought going into the year for Tennessee – they would be better, but I. it felt like I was watching the same Tennessee team that struggled a ton throughout last season on offense, including that brutal, heartbreaking NCAA tournament loss to Michigan. So if you're the Vols, you got to be better. you got to improve on the offensive side of the ball. And even giving up uh, 78 points to a Colorado team that just lost to Grambling State, that's not ideal on the defensive side of the ball, which is usually their strength. And Tennessee, all of a sudden – as we near closer and closer to Feast Week and the Battle for Atlantis, they have a ton of questions, which isn't ideal for a team that I was really high on, a team that I thought was going to be one of the better teams in the SEC. These struggles are just all too familiar, and Tennessee will now enter the Battle for Atlantis and their game this week against Florida Gulf Coast with a ton of question marks.
Okay, guys, that's going to do it for another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. My name is Zach Kroll. I am the host of this show, and we are going to be giving you guys a trio of new episodes per week now until the end of March Madness. I believe my guy Aaron Torres will be joining me later this week to break down of the Champions Classic. There are a ton of other great games to watch this weekend, especially compared to this past week when it was just pretty bleak, especially Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Just not enough good games for the opening week of college basketball. That changes this week. I can't wait. And just keep an eye out for more episodes of the College Hoops Daily Podcast because we're going to be breaking it all down right here. Peace out, everyone. Let's get it.